Hello and welcome to the Related to Geeks podcast. We are back again at Tinker's Tavern as we are every Monday night hanging out and talking about geeky things. And tonight we are recording a podcast discussing DIY gaming. But before we get to that topic, we have to do our geek agendas. And I am going to ask my dear daddy to start with his geek agenda. (laughs) Oh, I hate being first because I always want to one-up geek you guys. Okay, um... (laughs) This last week or so, um, I've been involved in a project. I found out about this server software called UnoHost. Uh, And it's, I mean, why UnoHost? And uh, so uh, it installs like a Linux distribution. You put it on your USB key or a CD and you put it on a computer and it installs a server for you. And then it has an interface through the web. You control it from your workstation and you set it all up and it installs apps for you and it uh, helps you get the right um, IP addresses, stuff like that. And so I was playing with it and I got interested in it and I realized I had to have an outside uh, link for it to make it really where I could really test it. And so I started checking on Harry Larry links which are hard to come by even though I'm essentially one of the very few uh, public citizen Harry Larry's in the United States <laughs> but uh, um, the Harry Larry rocks link I got it Harry Larry dot rocks and it's now attached to my Unohost server and I have a funk whale on it and a pure tube on it and a WordPress content management system and um, a links program, Charlie or Shirley, whatever. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so when I um, was doing that, I realized that um, I had to tell the router where to send the packages, but you don't get to do that, so... Hi! Hello! Okay, so um, I had to do something called a reverse proxy. And what it does is it sets between my servers, I have two servers now, and and it gets the traffic from the router and it sends the right packets to the right server, and then it collects the packets back and sends them back out onto the internet. And so, uh, I actually had to add two servers to get one additional website. So now I have a server on my right running Harry Larry Rocks and a server on my left right past my workstation running um, MixRemixCC and DeltaBoogie.com and then over by the TV there's a proxy server that um, is hooked to a switch and then that's so anyway that's been very absorbing and uh that sounds like it see funk whale is like it's kind of like soundcloud or um uh, spotify you know and uh pure tube is like youtube you know and uh, mm-hmm. uh but uh it's on my own system it's my own stuff that i'm putting on there and uh so it's a way, it's a central aggregation point for my media. Yeah. That's my geek agenda. Yeah. So, one of that, you geek guys. Like, I just like the name Funkwell. Funkwell, uh. yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to make you go next. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I I got a 10-inch um, tablet for my birthday, so cool. that was nice. <laughs> um, I, I uh, have been using Libby for a while, which is the, the kind of the overdrive app for ebooks on the library system, and it's fantastic for, like, graphic novels and stuff like that. I just the first March book, which is um, John Lewis. Ooh, um, ooh, I just got those. I just bought those, and they came in the mail. <laughs> so, so I've read the first one, and I have the next two old. 
because um, at this point everybody's checking them out. Yeah, um, I bought all three thing. in a box set. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, they yeah, wait for um, no man. <laughs> um, it's it's um it's been fantastic for RPG stuff as well because I do buy a lot of stuff or download a lot of stuff um, PDF wise. So it makes it I have I have actually run games from my tablet which is pretty awesome um beats running it from your phone mm-hmm. uh, i also run games from my laptop a lot too but if i were in a in a setting where i'm with people i would rather run from a from a tablet than a laptop because it's just it becomes a barrier just like i don't use a screen for the same reason so um and one thing i do i like to set up index cards um, which is kind of bullet points for the different encounters and like monster stats and stuff like that. Any any things of import. Uh, so I think having a tablet that I can just put that information on will be fantastic. So I'm excited to, to delve into that a little bit and see how that works for me. Because I've always just done it with paper index cards. But I end up writing on them and having to reprint some of them. And so I think this will be easier. Because I can write on them and then just erase everything. Did you say which tablet you got? I got an S6 Lite. Okay. That's Samsung. Samsung Tab. Galaxy Tab. S6 Lite. So it's got the stylus. Um, cool. But it's not It's not got all of the bells and whistles of the full S6, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to be fine anything I need to do. I look at a lot of reviews. Um, the stylus was important to me because I like to I like to write notes and stuff in my own handwriting because I remember things that way. Uh, so um, I looked at all of the different tablets with styluses and this one just had the best reviews as far as how well it, it actually reacts to handwriting. So mm-hmm. that's why. Uh, it was a birthday present, but I <laughs> Those are the best kind. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a Kindle Fire that um, I used occasionally, but it was just a little smaller than I wanted for some of the things. Like I've also I have like a magazine subscription thing, so being able to read that on the ten inch versus a seven inch mm-hmm. tablet is. I mean, it's it's meant to be seen that size, so I don't have to like keep zooming in and zooming out and panning and all yeah. that stuff. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm still kind of exploring what all it can do. I've had it now for less than a month, so um, yeah. I, yeah. I like um, I'm excited to see what I can do with it as far as RPGs go. So, yeah, absolutely. I have, so, I have found that um, I have found that ebooks are not good for graphic novels or cartoons um, <laughs> and uh, a tablet would be good and a computer's good, but Ebooks. I mean, there's too much up and down and side scrolling and zooming, so you can read the text and all that. Very painish. Well, up until this graphic point, novels. I pretty much have read read everything on my phone, so it's like mm-hmm. a huge. Because I just, I just was like, my phone isn't really like I, I. If I was already panning and stuff, I might as well use my phone than use the the Kindle because it just integrated better with everything that I used. So that was that was part of that. So. Yeah. Now, one thing that some uh, of those services provide for comic books specifically, if you're reading on a smaller device, they have what's called panel to panel. So rather than sh- just like having to like zoom in and kind of scroll around on the full page, um, it actually zooms in for you and kind of like stair steps you through it, um, going panel by panel. Um, and I've read quite a few comic books on my phone using that method, and I enjoy that one because it's an easier method of reading a comic book on your phone but too because sometimes I find that like comic book artists get a little too creative on how they arrange their panel panels and what they expect or what order to you to read in and what I assume the order is and I have many a times read through a page on a comic book and been like I read that in the wrong order there's no way that that matched up <laughs> I read this manga so once and the Help. And the story started at the end and ended at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kier. Are you here, Kier? 
You think he's talking to somebody else? No, I'm, I'm here. I was on mute. Okay. That's what's, okay. Your, what's your geek agenda? I have a feeling I know what it is. I've got, I got a couple. Uh, one I've been geeking out with you on, and one I've been geeking out with Carl on. Uh, uh, one geek That's agenda. Yeah, one geek agenda is a Minecraft server that I've been running for my family and friends, and it's mostly you, me, and our nieces and nephews, and uh, uh, we've been hopping on and playing Minecraft on a super modded server and uh, doing all kinds of crazy wacky stuff. Uh, other thing that I have been back into a miniature war game called Kings of War and building some armies for it just to take to conventions and play once you know we start having conventions again uh but i'm wanting to i'm looking at a, a rather ambitious project i'm going to start small with a couple of armies but i want to build up to eight generic fantasy armies uh low points for kings of war uh but uh with a big centerpiece and something real thematic and, and, and really cool looking on the table to kind of draw the eye. There's so many <laughs> weird background noises. <laughs> well, at least you're working on a server. <laughs> you're, you're on mute, Dad. I don't know if you're talking oh, or not. Sorry. <laughs> at least you're working on a server. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I want to piggyback off of Kira's Minecraft talk because that that goes into my geek agenda because on this server that Kira's running, I am building a like dungeon uh, quest adventure thing, um, and I've been working on this project, uh, kind of like figuring out what exactly I want to do with it. But so far, I've got like the layout of the dungeon, and I've started with the the decorations and and setting all of that up, and I'm gonna start like trying to figure out how to integrate lore bits and puzzles and use redstone elements to have like secret doors and things like that. And I'm really excited to kind of develop all of that. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a whole like you know you enter you enter with nothing. Uh, no armor, no weapons, and you kind of have to explore the dungeon to find your gear and survive and try to get through the, the labyrinth that I have created, and I'm super, super excited about it. That is awesome. If it would help, when someone goes into the dungeon, I can actually manually configure it to change their game mode to adventure mode so they can't just mine through and things like that. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll uh, discuss all of those elements and stuff like that. I'm hoping that the honor system will work with the crew that we're playing with, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> Mom, do you have a do you have a geek agenda, Mom? Um, <laughs> oh yes, you do. Airy and Caper and Everything Bones. Everything she does. <laughs> you what? Airy and Caper and Bones. We talked about it. Uh, oh, yeah. Airy and Caper and Bones, yeah. Our, I, guess I guess it's a geek agenda. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're out. Uh, we're doing a... Larry not really doing a, the quest, but we're, uh, we're, we're playing a little D&D &D at home. So. And Bones? And bones, yeah. And it's uh, it's been entertaining. <laughs> it has. You never know what you're going to run into. It. We've kind of pulled some of the stuff from back in the day when uh, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons regularly with the boys and whoever else wanted to play. So Adam was usually involved, but. <laughs> uh, he counts as the boys. <laughs> the boys. <laughs> <He's included. laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been kind of fun. Your dad's, uh, your dad's kind of writing it, so. He, uh, he does some interesting crap, actually. <laughs> the quest is called uh, Milligan Treasure Hunt, and it's in uh, Wilkin Woods which is a magic forest, 
uh, outside of Milligan. And um, uh, so far, we did get the tail feather of an owl. And right now, uh, in between sessions, we left the last session talking to some fairies just outside of a fairy circle. We're trying to find the ancestor tree. There you go. <laughs> That's a little pricey. So I want, yeah, I want, I want dad to write a book or a module or anything that, you know, needs a blurb on the back. And then I want that blurb to be, you know, mom's, mom's, phrase of you know you can come up with some interesting crap if you like <laughs> <laughs> that's just the only blurb <laughs> all right carl let's, let's finish this up with the bang what you got for a geek agenda lego blocks Woo! <laughs> have you have you ever heard of these things called lego blocks oh my goodness I just found out it's about like Minecraft there. in real life. <laughs> Lego blocks. It's like somebody made a block and then they put another block and they put them together and they're like, hey, these blocks don't let go. <laughs> Is what they did. And anyway, so uh, we have a bunch of Lego blocks that were uh, given to us um, from. Uh, uh, our sister Gretchen, who is not appearing on this podcast <laughs> or any podcast, I imagine. Maybe we'll see. Um, <laughs> she is a public figure. Really, they were. <laughs> yeah, really, they were given to us uh, by Coulter. Uh, he, he had a huge Lego collection, and so Connor and Emily have had these Legos and just drawers full of Legos. Um, and the other day, Connor thought about uh, using them to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he was like uh, uh, coming up with this idea of of bringing um, pieces kind of ready to go, but but not fully constructed, and letting people make a miniature of their character from the pieces that we had, um, and then letting them play the game. And so we've been playing D and D lately with Lego blocks, with the little minifigures. That came uh, from Lego blocks, and we've um, put together some um, monsters and some non-player character miniatures. But for your player character, you get a tub based off of your class. So we are using it with old school basic D and D. So um, there's just seven classes. So if you want to play a dwarf, you get a dwarf tub, and it has everything you want. Uh, you could want to kind of modify a way a dwarf looks. You know, you have a warhammer, you have an axe, you have a sword. You have a beard, you have a, you know, and you just put it together uh, for your character mini for that game. Which would be, it, it's easier to do something like that for um, basic D&D, where there's just seven options. Uh, where if you were trying to do that for, like, 5th edition, you would you would uh, uh, run into a wall pretty quick. But luckily, we, we both like the simplistic versions of the game. But it's been cool. <laughs> well, I am super excited that I had you go last because I think that that fits in nicely with our topic for tonight's podcast, which is DIY gaming. And I like that he had the creativity to realize, hey, this could be for D&D, which is kind of what we're talking about with DIY gaming. It's just different things that you can create, different um, elements, uh, things that you can craft to enhance your gaming um, creating your own game components, things like that is kind of the idea of tonight's topic. So I'm going to open this up for discussion for whoever wants to jump in and kind of talk about what they do to create things for their games. Carl uses Legos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I do a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, uh, uh, repurposing and finding new ways to use things and finding new ways to look at the game. Um, uh, so I'm going to start with this. One thing I have found. So let's say uh, you like the idea of tactical combat. You like the idea of using miniatures, but you don't want to invest in the time or cost uh, to have miniatures, uh, either pre-painted or, or even painting them yourself, which is a huge time investment. Um, 
One thing I found that works really well and is relatively cheap is you use meeples and centimeter cubes. So you get a collection of meeples and you get uh, two of each color that you'd want. So I have two red, two blue, two green, two pink, two white, two black. Um, and what you do is you have people pick a color of meeple to represent their character on the tactical field. And you set the other meeple in front of them. So everybody knows, oh, the pink meeple's in front of uh, 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 Jerome. So Jerome, that's uh, his uh, figure out there. Um, and then you use the centimeter, centimeter, bleh, you use the centimeter cubes um, for everybody else. Non-player characters, monsters, whatever. Um, Color-coded for the encounter. Uh, so if you need goblins, you throw out a bunch of green centimeter cubes or whatever. Orange centimeter cubes, whatever your preference is. Um, doesn't really matter, as long as they're differentiated from another type of creature. Um, and it has, and it only has to be for that encounter. You don't have to, like, set yourself hard, fast rules. Uh, but, I mean, it gives you that tactical combat. It doesn't give you the aesthetic benefit of miniatures, but it does give you a lot of the benefits you get from miniatures at a very manageable price without having to cart around a ton of, of figures and boxes and scenery and all that. So, I'm going to expand upon that with an example that you actually used to do. Hang on one second. <laughs> I was going to say that it reminds me a lot of uh, when we used to play D&D &D, when we were playing 33.5 we all use dice. <laughs> yeah. We would all just like, you know, have a die from our set or the DM would have a, uh, a bunch of dice and, and that would, if needed some tactical how that would work um and um actually one of the other dcc judges that i've met um, when he sets up his games he actually comes up with full dice sets with extra d6s for um his players to use as their if they need tactical stuff so i thought that was kind of a cool idea and I, I should mention uh, 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 this idea of using the meeples and the cubes is one I lifted. Uh, I, it's something I saw done at GaryCon by uh, Jennifer Martin, uh, who's a dungeon master for uh, games like Call of Cthulhu and Castles and Crusades. And I, I got to play in one of her Castles and Crusades games, and she was using meeples and cubes, and it worked really well. You when we started playing indie at home and we're using old chess sets? I do not. You don't remember that? Wow. <laughs> I figured you would. It used to complain about the rooks. <laughs> hey, those guys. <laughs> what that? I complained about rooks in D&D &D in the yeah. chess set? Yeah. I don't have any recollection of this. I blocked it out. The rooks are me for life. Um, what, what was my what was my concern with the rooks? Uh, because in chess they only move up and down or back and forth. They can't go sideways. Okay. You understand? But but, but when I was telling it's trying to explain to you that this didn't apply. So I was going to interject with something else that Carl may or may not recall. And an expansion upon the uh uh the meeple uh uh, method, which would be not much more difficult and not much more expensive, uh, is uh, I was playing in a game with Carl where he had taken the clear, like, aquarium glass beads that you can get mm -hmm. for super cheap, and he'd print it out, just small, circular, 
fantasy generic portraits. I think it was for zombies at this time. So it was just zombie characters and mm. officers and things like that. And he just glued it to the bottom of these little beads. And he had little markers with a little <laughs> head on it. And it was very clear what was what. And it still had that kind of aesthetic vibe to it. Uh, I yeah. thought it was really cool. The benefit of that over tokens. So, like, uh, the flat token, a lot of people see those. They're in a lot of uh, RPG sets where you get a set of flat, one-inch circular tokens um, that kind of you can't really see unless you kind of get over them and look. Uh, but if you get some of those aquarium baubles, uh, it refracts the image so you can see it from multiple angles that you wouldn't be able to see it if it was a flat token. And it kind of bubbles it up. It bubbles it up a little bit. Yeah, it's easier to pick up. It, I mean, it's, it takes up more storage room. But, uh, uh, yeah, I remember that. So a lot of my experience with um, kind of DIY gaming is specifically tied to one game um, that I feel like I, I dedicated the most time to making like a really nice set for, and that was Zombie Plague, which Zombie Plague is a great game. It's a print-and-play game, so it's already kind of a, a DIY gaming experience because you you put together the game um, based on what, what components you decide to print out because there's the base game and then there's people who have redesigned the artwork over the years or added stuff to it, and so you can kind of develop it however you want to. And I created um, a lot of, lot of, like, special things to to enhance the the play experience um special markers uh because there was certain search squares that you could only search once so i remember i had uh like toothpicks glued to beads so that, that they could stand upright and then you'd have little pony beads that you'd slide over the toothpick to show that you've searched that space already and you couldn't search it again um, i used a lot of pre-painted miniatures and put them on square bases specifically so I could color one side because that game had something uh, very specific in its game rules about facing so that let it know which way they were facing by the side of the base that was colored um, and I just kind of enhanced that game as much as possible and it's ki it was kind of an interesting experience because I took what was basically a print and play game where all the components were paper and got to create all of the components for it um, using just kind of household things and other components from other games and piece it together exactly the way I liked it and created a set that I still have for the most part my boards needed to be replaced so I have to reprint the boards and mount those at some point um, but everything else I still have in like a tackle box that has like printed out art that's like duct taped to the top I mean it's it's one of the the, the more like janky ways that you can create a board game but it's like one of my most cherished possessions too because of i remember how much time i put into like really thinking about how to handle each component and the easiest way to communicate to people exactly how how everything worked and i really remember thinking about things like coloring the bases to show facing making sure that all of the human characters had a green line on their bases and all of the zombie characters had a red line all of those little things that I kind of thought about to to develop that game and uh, kind of add my own flair to components of it. And that's that's one of the first things I thought of when I was thinking, oh yeah, DIY gaming. It was, I got to make components for a game that already existed and that was really fun. So there. <laughs> so there. So there. Pretty sure that's the game I had the, the zombie bubbles for too. Oh. Good game. Well, since we're talking about um, game pieces, one really good thing to do to DIY game is to rob from all your other games to make the game that you're really wanting to make right now. So uh, Monopoly houses and hotels, they're really handy for scenery, you know. And uh, Carl used Jenga blocks. Dominoes was an original thing for marking off the dungeons. And... Uh, Sometimes you just use them the way they are, and other times you paint them up and make them look like more like what you want them to be. And then when you go back to play in Monopoly, you got fancy houses and hotels. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you are someone who's willing to like 
dedicate the time to it. Never underestimate what you can do with just like some recycled cardboard and some paint. You know, glue <laughs> yep. that stuff together and paint it up, and you got some scenery. <laughs> so we've talked about some cheap things you can do. Let's talk about some expensive things you can do. <laughs> <laughs> So what I've been messing with as of late is I joined a uh, local maker space and they have a like five to you know six thousand dollar laser cutter in their in their supply uh, of tools and, 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 and equipment that you can use. And there's a learning curve and all set together, but man can you make some really cool stuff with a laser cutter and uh it doesn't necessarily have to be super expensive most i won't say most uh uh most metropolitan towns most cities have a maker space within driving distance that you can go utilize for an afternoon uh, and it'll likely have something similar to this uh or a 3d printer or things like that and there's tons of stuff that you can make using that stuff. What I've been making is I've been making custom tokens for a game I play called X-Wing. And you can find these online on Etsy all over the place because uh, these acrylic tokens are just super popular with this game. But uh, there's something very satisfying about doing the art out and making it yourself, making it your own, and, and customizing it, and then watching the laser actually cut it and etch it out, and painting it, and learning all the little neat tips and tricks and all the set and the other of getting everything to work just right. I've just been having a ball doing that this last year. I just wanted to add as far as makerspaces, um, check with your local library because a lot of local libraries have 3D printers and stuff like that even if there's not really an actual makerspace in your town. And it's not necessarily expensive either. Uh, I got my 3D printer for $150, open box, bottom of the line, mono price, and it's cool. And at first I was making a whole bunch of, uh, you know, download for free um, and free license and all that because I'm into that stuff. But then I realized, not, not for miniatures it doesn't make any difference to me. I'm not gonna do anything with the miniatures except print them and go ooh ah, and. Uh, so I got this uh, humble bundle for twenty bucks, and um, they're uh, they're higher quality um, than the uh, random Thingiverse miniature. Um, some of them I'm still not able to print, and uh, some of them I can print with support, but a lot of them I can print without support. And also um, uh, the um, uh, different uh, filament wires. Some of them shrink more than others, and uh, if you if you are printing a house, you know, um, uh, it can warp. You know, so I bought uh, a little bit less shrinkage filament for when I want run out of filament um, to see if that helps on that. So, but uh, uh, twenty dollars worth of filament, which is a roll, makes. I mean, it lasts me a long time, and I don't print a lot, but I. I like to print the miniatures and the scenery, even though I don't actually use them. <laughs> he just looks at it and goes, ooh, ah. Uh. Yeah, I uh, love they're it. They're still great. Yeah, I haven't painted. I painted one so far. When Wendy was here, Wendy painted one and I painted one. That was a year ago. I was just saying that <laughs> was great. <laughs> Our 3D printer is on a boat right now, so <laughs> eventually I'm on we'll a boat. <laughs> on a boat? Is it taking a vacation? Uh, it's a Kickstarter. Um, it's the Creality S6. Oh, cool! So probably better than mine. So I'm I'm trying to get Vivian to paint my dwarf beds. But so far, she uh, whenever I ask her about them, she says, um, I'd do it if I had some paints. I already gave her the paints and the brushes. No, that she'll say, oh, if I had some brushes, I'd paint them. <laughs> I just don't think she wants to paint them. 
So yeah, and it's basically his main reason is to um, make stuff for gaming. So, yes. Um, Why else would you get a three D yeah. printer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You need to get Megan to paint them. I could paint them. She's really good. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. CR6SE, I think. I don't know why. I got all my letters and numbers mixed up. <laughs> I'm just going to bust in with whatever I want to. Sarah <laughs> is the Kool-Aid man of this podcast. <laughs> It was, it was bothering me that I couldn't come up with the right name. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I have to get it right. Are you related to me? <laughs> oh, possibly. I've heard rumors. It's almost like that's the whole gimmick of our podcast is we're all related. <laughs> really? So, speaking of things that are related, but maybe not exactly the same... This is my smooth segue. Uh, you know, the 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 classic DIY for gaming is making your own modules or supplements or rules, and uh, that's literally the cheapest thing you can make, I believe. Because <laughs> it's just I'm gonna open up a text editor and and write some words, and you're just investing your time and. Then you run it through a play test or two, and then you can actually turn around and uh, uh, sell or give that away. So that's make a, tens of dollars, tens, <laughs> literally tens of dollars. I will say, I made uh, thirty-two pre-generated character sheets for Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, and I put it up on the DMs Guild. And I made literally tens of dollars on a pay whatever you want to, to download these 32 characters. And uh, uh, I turned around and I spent that money on other people's stuff so that they could make literally tens of dollars as well. <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> I like writing modules. And I like doing the artwork and, you know, working with Vivian on artwork or finding artwork for him. I just, um, I just like the whole deal. It's very creative. I like writing short stories, but I kind of like writing modules better. Well, and I think the thing about this topic is that I feel like most people that get into gaming also get into some DIY aspect of gaming, um, whether it is simply buying miniatures and painting them, whether it's simply buying miniatures and painting them, whether it's uh, creating scenery, whether it's writing modules or house rules. Um, there's there's always the, the, the flexibility that gaming provides and the creativity that gaming promotes kind of leads to that atmosphere. And so there's a lot of different ways that people can be creative with gaming beyond just what the game provides out of the box. And sometimes you can DIY an entire game. I'm going to talk about um, Liz's creation that Megan has in her house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she folded and <laughs> Can you hear in the background? <laughs> I, heard, I heard him like, oh no. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Who, do you know, remember who the designer was? Of? Liz, why oh, aren't what? you on here? Liz. <laughs> You're so <Joseph>. DIY. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Blue. Woo. Sorry, Joseph Wu um, designed this chess set. And so she decided she spent, I don't know how many hours putting that thing together. <laughs> what did you say? Too many is what her answer was. <laughs> I believe uh, it. But it, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think and the, the board, the pieces, all of that is part of this design um and and did you take any pictures i mean megan has it in her house so oh okay yeah. megan knows how to I take pictures it. i won it at the auction but it was a charity auction and i bid on that sucker <laughs> <laughs> it's an all-day all sucker 
It was an all-day sucker. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just I'm just impressed by by that <laughs> whole board out of paper, whole game out of paper. Well, well tell Megan to take, take a picture of it and post it. <laughs> I'm trying to find a picture. Leave me alone. I'm living my life. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm 100 percent sure I have a picture somewhere, but I would have to dig. <laughs> Apparently, so does Megan. <laughs> well, I can look over on my wall, and I see a chessboard there, and above the chessboard I see a whole set of chess pieces that Kier made and gave to Vivian and me for Christmas, and he wrote a poem on the chessboard and everything, and it's art, but it's DIY gaming, too. I think he just gave it to you for your birthday, didn't he? I don't know. I thought it was... Uh, to both of us because it re references both of us it, it talks about both of us anyway so to me it's a gift for both of us hello albert hey guys how you doing tonight? oh doing good you into any diy gaming ideas uh, no, you mean yeah <laughs> sceneries or miniatures or whole games or modules or Sometimes I write some scenarios. Oh, cool. You know, I play Because like that's what we're talking about tonight. That is our topic for discussion. DIY gaming. Cool. Yeah. We, uh, we do this podcast once a month. And everyone you see on here except you, we're all related. Um, so, <laughs> but you're welcome. <laughs> it's an open game chat, so yeah. No, uh, chime in if you got anything to say. Feel feel free. We're glad to have you. So I'll talk a little bit about um, Discos and Dragons, which is a convention <laughs> game that I run where I only use materials from the uh, 1970s or earlier. And because of that, I have to incorporate a lot of DIY elements uh, uh, because that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. So I use stuff like the actual uh, little uh, 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 knockoff dinosaur Godzilla toys <laughs> that that created figures like the Boule and the Rust Monster. Um, and uh, I use... Um, I originally was using Domino's for my dungeon walls, but I switched to Jenga blocks, um, uh, and I use popsicle sticks for my doors, and I use an outdoor survival board, which I, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, the 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 original D and D box it kind of asked you to DIY. They said go buy this board game and steal the board out of it and use that. Because <laughs> um, there wasn't, you know. Um, you didn't really have access to printing, so if you wanted a campaign board, you needed to find something. Uh, so outdoor survival was the choice, um, and so that's what I use. And I populate it with Monopoly houses that I've painted up uh, in in browns and grays um, to look like little villages. And I also use Monopoly houses for my treasure chest uh, because trying to track down 1970s miniatures is hard enough. Trying to find 1970s scenery. Uh, uh, is even harder for some reason. Um, I think it's because people fondly remember the miniature lines and the particular figure, and and that nobody's really like, ah, oh, this chest from 1977 is my favorite treasure chest miniature ever. Uh, they will say that about an orc or a sorcerer, so those end up getting uh, reproduced and re uh, 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 manufactured by some company that owns the molds and the rights. Um, but the scenery, not not usually uh, uh, sought after so heavily. Um, so I use um, stuff like miniatures from a board game called Feudal, uh, which is also uh, pre-Dungeons & Dragons, not by very much. Um, and I use um, a bunch of uh, 172 scale kits from the 60s, uh, Robin Hood and... and, and, and uh, uh, Kels versus Romans, that kind of thing. That was used in early D and D quite a bit, um, but but I, I it kind of embraces that DIY spirit. My uh, 
my slimes and oozes from that game are all hot glue. Yeah, I just blurp out a bunch of hot glue and then paint it up, and there, there I got a slime. <laughs> um, Do you uh, encounter a lot of nostalgia when you bring that out at cons? Um, a bit, and 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 the thing is, like, there's kind of a twofold reaction to it. Um, there are some people who are like, "Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, feudal. That's a great game. Oh, you actually have the little dinosaur figure." Um, like my dragon for that game, nobody's actually ever found the dragon on the map. Um, but the dragon in that game, he's a stegosaurus dinosaur toy with some pterodactyl dinosaur wings glued to him. Um, so, I mean, he's he's wonky looking and I, I, I uh, put some horns on him from something else. The, the tails of some other dinosaurs, some little small dinosaur figures from the time. Um, but, I mean, you can see like uh, old pictures of of uh, uh Gary Gygax's chainmail and stuff and that's exactly his his dragon is a T-Rex toy with uh, uh wings glued on. Um uh so uh you know and I I try to lean away from sculpting because sculpting was a huge part of what people do. You can actually uh find pictures online and they had it at the Gary Con I was at. I was lucky enough to see it. It's really cool. They had the the dragon that um, Dave Arneson had sculpted for his tabletop game. Um, really cool to see, but I try to lean away from sculpting too much because I feel like that's almost cheating. Like, if I sculpt a bunch of stuff, then yeah, I mean, yeah, that that is stuff that could have existed back then, but it doesn't have the same link. So I am kind of aiming for that nostalgia. You know, me sculpting a bunch of stuff isn't really hitting anybody's nostalgia buttons. Um, but yeah, I've seen that where I like, I'll pull out that dinosaur with his big giant pterodactyl wings and there are two different scales of dinosaurs. So it makes him look like an impressive wingspan dragon, though he is kind of, uh, goofy looking. Um, <laughs> but I mean, people are like, uh, charmed by that and they remember that. But I think also there's people like me who weren't alive in the seventies was certainly not playing D and D, um, uh, who just look at that as this kind of like connection to the past or just I'm interested in the history of D&D so I want to see uh, uh, what their what their figures were like um, so when uh, D&D was first uh, being kind of tested the, the, the miniatures that were being used most often were these elastilin plastics uh, 40 millimeter knights and they used those for chainmail and they used those for early games of Dungeons and Dragons um, and they're 40 millimeter figures, you know, they're pretty big. Um, uh, so I, I have some of those, but I use them for statues and I, I put them in the game. I make sure they appear in every game so I can show people like, this is what, you know, the original, uh, D and D figures when they were first playing D and D, this is a lot of what they used. I also have a lot of, um, uh, mini figs, mythical earth line, a lot of old miniatures, which is not really DIY, except um, one thing that's different about that line is they were intentionally sculpted to be vague enough to be painted for different purposes. So, like when uh, when mythical earth, uh, or it was called the Middle Earth Miniatures line when they first published it, because nobody was scared that Tolkien was going to sue everybody. Um, and to be fair, Tolkien didn't really sue anybody. It's only when, like, movie rights got into play that people started getting sued a whole lot. Um, but, uh, 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 so they just called the Middle Earth line, and uh, they actually talked to Gary Gygax. This is pre-D&D. They talked to Gary Gygax about a fantasy miniature line and what he would suggest. And he said, just sculpt a little guy with a knife and a hood, and they can paint him like a hobbit, or they can paint him like a goblin. <laughs> <laughs> and it can be either. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's just a little guy and just whatever. You choose how you paint him and that's what he is. In the 70s, the uh, uh, big commercial market for miniature stuff was the Model Railroad. And it wasn't exactly the right scale, but it was close enough that people used a lot of that scenery. Um, even though I think it was... A little small, I think. I'm not sure exactly how that the, the yeah, model. Yeah, it would depend. 
it was, yeah, because there were different scales of railroads too, different sizes of tracks. And in fact, the Elastalin were in a railroad scale. Like that's why they were forty millimeter. They were in a railroad scale. Oh, okay. Elastalin were. Okay, cool. Um, but there, so there's HO scale and there's N scale, which are the two most popular railroad okay. scales. Okay. Um, and uh, I believe HO is the larger one, and N is the really small one. But I could have that reversed. Uh, but they're they're just slightly bigger than 15s, or they're 40 mil. Well, one thing I want to be clear on is people to this day use model railroad stuff to make uh, terrain and things like that. Still going on, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, not as much today, though, as I would say, like, uh, uh, certainly, I mean, uh, it ain't much cheaper <laughs> to get model oh. railroad stuff. I mean, there's, there's so oh, much. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, uh, you go to uh, Hobby Lobby and you get tree armatures and flock sure. and foliage and things like that. You make your trees and your hills and your rock formations and all that. And like that's that's just they they did it that way in the '70s and they're doing it that way today and they'll do it that way probably 20 or 30 years from now. So I played in yeah, a it's... I played in a 5e game at North Texas and it was nautical. And the guy had uh, two boats, and one of them was, uh, uh, you know, commercial product that he spent like $150 on or something. He spent real money on getting a boat to play his toy game. But then the other one, he uh, got a toy boat and modified it and uh, printed parts on his 3D printer, and, and he made a real nice boat. Um, and it had all the squares, you know, so you could count your movement and all that. Um, it was it was way cool, and... Uh, um, so uh, that was uh, an eye-opener for me, how much time and effort people put into their uh, Dungeons and Dragons scenery and settings. See, I really love the idea of making a bunch of scenery and settings and painting miniatures and all of that stuff, but I don't use any of that in my games. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if just gonna have you started, like, you would like it. <laughs> yeah, so I just like have dioramas all over my house. Maybe that's my plan. So, one thing I've always wanted to do is I wanted to get a coffee table. That's one of those like display case coffee tables that has the glass top, and you you know actually build a like dungeon inside the coffee table underneath the glass. Not really to game on, just because I want to like create that because I think it would be cool. Right. <laughs> a diorama. Well, I, I talked about there's a with miniature wargaming, especially. Um, there are some really cool like terrain tables that people create, and when mm -hmm. um, my husband and daughter were playing War Machine, um, like you would look at some of these, and it's a very steampunk world. And I was like, that would have been a real fun world to create a table scene for for you know doing miniature wargaming even though i don't play miniature wargames i just wanted to create the terrain for mm -hmm. them because man there's some cool stuff that you can do <laughs> <laughs> yep. tools and space is part of the reason i just don't have space to build something oh, okay. that's you know I four foot by six foot just start using miniatures in your games. Uh, probably and not going to happen. Then, <laughs> uh, problem solved. <laughs> but I do have I do have things that I, I like props in games. Your party goes and there's like a hidden letter and you know some sort of space and somebody finds it. I like to pull out a letter that they found. Yeah. They want to do with it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I, um, we were talking about convention games earlier. I've, for a couple of conventions, have run a module, um, that takes place at, like, a circus. Um, not a circus, a carnival. And, um, one of the things is, is there is a prize cabinet. I would love to build the prize cabinet and fill it with the different prizes. Right now, I use, like, uh, um, four up card holder, like, reading card holder and have pictures of all of the prizes and then um if somebody pulls picks one of the prizes i pull out that card and give it to them but i'd love to have the actual like you know props that they could hold in their hand and mm -hmm. all of that um you know as a convention game thing like 
Um, well, I, I know I've talked about it before. My background's in theater, so props are, um, you know, props was one of my main things that I did, both in college and professionally, theater-wise. So I like that aspect of it all. Well, I think that a really good way to get into using kind of DIY elements and miniatures and things like that in your RPGs is the convention game. Because what you can do is you can create a very simple convention game that has just a few elements and you can make the, the get the miniatures and make the terrain just for that one scenario. And then you can have that put together in a little box so that whenever you go to a convention you can run that session and have all of the pieces for it. And that's all you have to worry about is just those pieces. And you can have a really cool convention one-off experience and uh, uh, not necessarily have to invest the, the sheer amount of money to try to cover every single scenario and every single option mm. with modular terrain and hundreds and hundreds of miniatures and things like that. Or you could look up Zombie Plague and start figuring out how to design your own components for that game. Because that's what I did. <laughs> I that's my self-contained experience. <laughs> I was going to say in that line of convention games, though, is my idea is to do the same convention game at every convention, but expand on it every time you run it. So you've got a bigger and better experience every time. Mm. Um, <laughs> so you just keep building. Like, I would love like the, the circus tent entryway or whatever if you can do it in you know like with pvc pipe or something mm -hmm. you know just to to just keep building on it every year to where it's like a little bit different and um, like that's my idea because i i like the the i can't i can't do everything i want to do for one you know the first time i run it because there's a lot to it but mm -hmm. i mean yep. you can ask Megan was with me when I bought some of the stuff for the game last year. We found some stuff at Dollar Tree, and I was, like, giddy excited about that $5. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting with, with role-playing games especially that there's kind of two ways to approach the immersion aspect. You can have, like, it be focused on the tabletop and, like, miniaturizing everything and having it all be, like that tactical aspect, right? You know, having the layout of the dungeon, having knowing where your person is positioned based on the enemies and the other people in the party. You can have that version of the DIY aspect, but then you can also have kind of more the theatrical version, which is what Sarah's more leaning towards, where you give like actual props out and the immersion's more like, this is the stuff my character's interacting with in game. Doesn't really help with the tactical side of things but it helps a lot with immersion and just kind of the fun you can even do both at the same time <laughs> nonsense no, I, do, I do like the idea <laughs> I do like the idea of having a box that just stays as a every time I want to run this game I have this box ready to go and you're not especially like if you're traveling for a convention pulling the stuff that you need to remembering everything you need is already hard enough and if you're for each game you're running just have to pull out like a shoebox or something that's pretty easy that sounds like something an organized person would have yeah <laughs> that's what i like it the idea but i didn't say i was gonna be good at it <laughs> it sounds to me like for what you're talking about it starts the size of a shoebox and then you end up like these three crates no, I'm, I'm talking about these your idea mine is going to be like a <laughs> the suitcase. <laughs> oh, that's my other favorite thing about RPGs. If you go to a convention and like go into the RPG room, there are DMs that walk in with a book and a dice bag, and then there are DMs that walk in with like five rolling uh, suitcases. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I have been both of those DMs. <laughs> I've been so. both of those DMs at one convention. <laughs> oh. I will say that probably the most important aspect of DIY, which we may or may not have really touched on, is, you know, DIY stands for do-it-yourself, 
but it doesn't necessarily have to mean come up with it yourself. <laughs> and there's just so many great resources online on YouTube. Uh, you know, just go out and Google stuff for making your dungeon scenery or your game components or pieces. I mean, literally any aspect of the DIY, like it's a hobby in and of itself, and mm -hmm. therefore there's forums and websites and videos and the whole, <laughs> the whole nine yards, just all over. And that is, I think, probably one of the things that a lot of people end up uh, where... They, they, it's kind of a failing, right? They, they fail to realize that if they're passionate about this, that means there's probably other people who are passionate about it, and then they just start fiddling around with things on their own, and uh, then they suddenly get opened up to this world outside of what they've been working on, and they realize, oh man. That would be a much easier way to do that. Or, oh, that's <laughs> even cooler than the thing that I made, and now i got to go and make that instead. And and uh, uh, I just want to steer people to go and do the research before they dive in because all this stuff exists, and there are people who have done really cool things, and it's all iterative. So it's better to start by doing some research and learning and then building off of what's already there. Or just paint a bunch of cardboard boxes and call it on your table. Put it on your table and call it terrain. <laughs> you don't even have to paint them. <laughs> it's just cardboard boxes. You didn't DIY anything. That doesn't be the placement. <laughs> hey, baby steps, baby steps. Uh, you gotta start yeah. somewhere. Yeah, all of this, and the thing is, all of this can be used in a variety of ways like one thing for my minecraft dungeon that i'm building building that i'm doing is i'm looking up D, D dungeons like people have mapped out a whole bunch of dungeons for role-playing games and i am looking at them drawing inspiration kind of coming up with ideas and themes and, and different things that i can pull from all of these I ideas that already exist out there um and you know, there's there's so much creative and so many people who just want to share the things that they create that obviously taking the time to, to just look at other people's work. It is a it is a sometimes a catch twenty two because it can inspire you, but then you also get into that mindset of like, I can't do anything that good <laughs> Which I've been in that position before. But just know that um, every 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 uh, amazing piece that you've seen out there, a lot of those people started with taking some cardboard boxes and slapping some paint on it. Um, that's that's the that's the process. So start start where you want to it when creating, and um, don't don't feel bad by comparing yourself to people who have been creating longer. Just look at that as a, as inspiration for your future creations, and stick with it because, I mean, DIY stuff, and I've made some really cool DIY stuff, and it's just takes time. The first step to being good at something is being bad at something. <laughs> All right. Anything else we want to touch on on DIY gaming? Sweet. Well, this has been the Related to Geeks podcast, and we thank you so, so much for listening. In two weeks, we will be discussing the Epic of Gilgamesh. I am not redoing that. That is how it's going to sound. <laughs> uh, that is our Related to Geeks book club. That will be da, 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 on the 28th of September. Go say some buys and blahs and and yeah yeahs right now. Okay, next week um, we will be in Wilkin Woods um, doing some DIY gaming, a module I wrote called oh. Milligan Treasure Hunt, and we'll be in the Wilkin Woods uh, at right here at Inspired Unreality in the Gamer Chat chat rooms on Tankers Tavern. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Anything else? Any anybody else promoting anything? 
I have a new Indie 5 out. It's on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Megatopia. Indie 5. Go watch it. <laughs> I already watched it, and I shared it with my friends because I'm a good brother. Good job, here. Get a cookie. <laughs> I also made cookies, so I'm going to go get a cookie. <laughs> I made cake. I already ate that. Now I want Kara's cookies. That should be a future topic. <laughs> cookies or cake? The, the game snacks. What's the best game snacks? Oh, we did that already. DIY game snacks. We might have already done that. <laughs> Game snacks. We all agreed that's the most important thing about gaming. The snacks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Alright, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. 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 You have been listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, recorded September 14th, 2020 on the Monday Night Inspired Unreality Open Game Chat held at Tanker's Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit relatedtogeeks.com. For more information about Inspired Unreality, join Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at gamerplus.org. Megan, Carl, Kier, Sarah, Vivian, and Larry discuss DIY gaming. The music for this show is Treehouse by Harry Lurie, recorded by NJHB at New Jazz in Jonesboro, held in the round room of the Jonesboro Public Library.